Please remain standing as you're able. And will you follow after me as we recite what Jesus would come to call the great commandment. Shema Israel. Adonai Eloheinu. Adonai Ahad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Scripture this morning is from John's letter. This is 1 John chapter 4. God is love, and whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. Our love is made perfect in this life as we have confidence on the day of judgment. For as Christ is in the world, so are we. But perfect love casts out fear because fear has to do with punishment. And the one who still fears has not yet been made perfect in love. We love because God first loved us. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be seated, please. Many years ago, they asked the great General George Patton if he was ever afraid in World War II. And Patton said, of course I was afraid, but I learned not to give counsel to my fears. I don't think the issue in life is whether or not we're going to have fear because we probably will. And you look at the landscape of our world, it seems like the reasons and opportunities for fear continue to increase. But maybe the greater question is, how shall we handle those fears? How will we deal with those fears? Uh, Because we can't eliminate them, how will we deal with them? Well, one possibility is simply to take them head on. There was a wonderful book written by a psychologist some years ago, Susan Jeffers, and the title of the book really said it all. She said, feel the fear and do it anyway. And so her advice is that there's something of which you're afraid, you just got to meet it head on. And she's supported by such luminaries as Helen Keller, who said uh, a century ago that sometimes the only way out is through. And she meant that you have to face fears head on. And I think in many ways that's exactly what we need to do. But there are those things in life of which we're afraid that we can't really face head on, at least not yet. So, for example, let's say we have a fear of death. Well, we don't really want to go die right now to figure out if we can face it in in that regard. Or we don't want to become a daredevil or, or careless just to see how close we can get up to the edge of the grave and then see if we can pull back in time. So there are some things we won't be able to face. And then there are others that we can't face, at least at the current moment, but those fears are out there. Uh, Fifteen years ago, for the first time, I went on a trip to Israel with Ray Vanderland. And because I had inside information, I knew at toward the end of the trip what was going to happen was when we were in Jerusalem, we were going to find ourselves in an ancient tunnel that goes back to King Hezekiah's time. And so it is aptly named Hezekiah's Tunnel. It's about a mile long, and you can't stand all the way up in it. It's extremely dark. You can't see in front of you. can't see behind you. And there's water in it because... It flows uh, a spring uh, outside the city. It was a water source that was guarded for the people inside the city. So you've got water in it. Sometimes the water's up to your ankle. Sometimes it's up to your knee. And so in the dark, the thought in the water with no way forward, no way back. And I wondered, would I be claustrophobic? And I wondered that for 15 straight nights. Before finally the day came and, well, I survived because I'm here. In fact, I've survived two more times since then. But 15 nights of my life were 
given over to not sleeping well because of something that I knew about, but I had not yet experienced. So I can't imagine that that's really a helpful way to face fear either. So I wonder if there's another way. Well, this isn't a biblical quote, but I found it helpful in life. The great Albert Einstein once observed that the majority of our problems cannot be solved at the same level at which they were created. Or another person translated that for me. said, basically, David, uh, you don't always solve a problem by focusing just on the problem. Uh, That sometimes there is another way. And there's a better way. And this is what John says when it comes to fear. That we don't, fate, we don't solve our problem with fear by thinking about the fear all the time. We think of something else. And this is what John said. He said, perfect love casts out fear. Now apparently that's a word picture in Greek. Um, ekbalo. And balo is the same root from which we get the word ballistic. So it's a picture that says when love comes in the presence of fear, love goes ballistic. And throws the fear out. It's another way of saying love and fear cannot operate at the same space at the same time. And so love will cast out the fear. So John encourages us in a different direction to think not about our fears so much as we would think about love. And I think John is supported by many people who are wise in our day. The wonderful poet uh, whom Nelson Mandela quoted at his inaugural, in his inaugural address some years ago, Marianne Williamson, uh, made this observation. She said, we are born with love. Fear is something we learn. So that our spiritual journey in life will consist in unlearning fear and prejudice and then beginning to accept the love with which we are born into our heart. In other words, she sees love just like John did, as the antidote to fear. The great Dietrich Bonhoeffer put it this way. As you know, he was in a concentration camp. He would lose his life on Palm Sunday uh, before the camp was uh, liberated. But every day he saw cells around him where the soldiers would come for someone and they would not return. And his comment about that was this. He said, of course we are afraid. But we try to fix our mind on more important things. So he's saying there's something other than our fear that we think about here in the camp. And I think that's a great approach. So here's what I'd like to offer you from John this morning. Here's three things I think you could think about instead of fear that may help you and help me kind of right-size fear in our own life. The first advice I would give you from John is that you think about others. Most of John chapter 4, 1 John 4, is given over to the, uh, the theme of loving others and loving our brothers and sisters. And so one of the things I've found from experience and maybe learned even more by seeing in others, that one of the things that, le- that helps me be less afraid is the more that I am loving someone else. I'm worried about their welfare and it makes me less likely to give in to my own particular fears about a situation. Some of you may recall... Uh, earlier this year when there was uh, that car that was careening off a street onto a sidewalk and there was a, uh, a woman and her children on the sidewalk. And one of the things she did as the car headed toward her, she was able to get her children out of the way and, and she took the hit from the car. Uh, but that was obviously because she didn't have time to give in to her fear. Her love for her children sport, uh, spoke more loudly and so she uh, risked and took an injury on their behalf, there's something about love that, that draws us out of ourselves, which helps us then be a bit less 
uh, afraid. Uh, Carl Minninger, who formed, who formed the Minninger Clinic, would often give advice to people when they're in difficult times. He would say, now maybe the best thing you can do today is leave the house and go, so- go find someone who needs help and help them. There's something about loving others that reduces the power of fear in my life. So that's one thing I would think about. Second thing, though, is when I think about myself, and I do, think about who your real identity is. Think about how much you are loved. We often talk in this church about how important it is to know that you are God's beloved, that you are God's uh, son or you are God's daughter. This is the way John said it. He said, you know, we have confidence. Because in this world, we are as Jesus. When God deals with us, when God sees us, when God watches us, God deals with us as if we're Jesus because we too are sons and daughters of God. And so when I come up against my fear, sometimes the best thing is when I think of myself, it's not to think how much I am afraid, but how much I'm loved and how much I'm valued and whether or not this works and whether this succeeds or fails or whether I'm liked or not at the end of the day. I'm still loved by God. Years ago, I was on the junior tennis circuit. Okay, decades ago. And one of the guys that I traveled with, his father was a a U.S. uh, district judge. And, And he had a pretty good sense of himself because of that. He would oftentimes point to the license plate that he had on the car that his father gave him, which said he was exempt because he was judge. I didn't know many 17 year old judges, but he had the license plate. So we might go into a local Dairy Queen and he didn't like the service and he would turn to us and he'd say, obviously they don't know who I am. Or we might get to the schedule for the tennis tournament. He didn't like the time at which he was supposed to play. And he would say to all of us, obviously they don't know who I am. And he would point again to his license plate. Well, as you might imagine, it didn't really endear him to the rest of us very much. But I thought about the positive of that. When we come into conflict, Uh, confrontation with fear and we're head on with fear, maybe the attitude we need to take is obviously this fear doesn't know who I am. Obviously this situation is not yet recognized my identity as a son or daughter of God. Obviously fear is not really in touch with who I am. So one of the things I think we do is we think about others, and I think that helps me be more courageous. We think about how loved we are and that nothing can shake that love. That helps me. And then finally, and this seemed counterintuitive to me, but John said it, so I'm going to give it to you. John says, when you're faced with fear, think about the judgment day. Now, I don't know about you, that has often in the past not lessened my fear. I'm always thinking I'm in that long line at Judgment Day, and, and to my great horror, I find out Mother Teresa is two lines, two places in front of me. And so it's probably not going to go well when it's my time for the interview. Um, but that's not what John meant. John meant on that day, Mother Teresa doesn't fare any better than I do, or you do. We are all loved. We are all valued. We will all be with a home and accepted in the end. There's nothing that happens in this life that shakes what God has for us forever. On the day of judgment, he says, we have confidence. We know how this thing goes. We know how it ends up. We end up with a home. We end up with family. We end up knowing that we are loved. And so John wants us to think about judgment and work backwards from that. 
rabbis, great rabbis, and he spent three years with one, used a technique uh, that they called from lesser to greater or from greater to lesser. And in this one, the greater is the judgment day. You're good. So what about all these traumas and griefs and pain and criticisms between now and then? They are not unimportant. They are not without pain, I assure you. But where they are, are they in the grand scheme of things, knowing that you will be loved and you will always in Christ have a home. One of the great giants, I think, of the 20th and early 21st centuries in the Christian faith was a man named Dallas Willard, Christian philosopher and writer. They said his two last words surrounded uh, by loved ones were these, and they're not surprising. His two last words were, thank you. And to everyone who had cared for him, thank you. But right before that, this is what he said. As he began to slip from this life away, he said this to the people around him. There are people there you know. And he began to call out the names of the people that he could see. He saw the end. And, of course, as he always was anyway, he was gracious in the present. There was a, a line I read in a book that we're, uh, some of us are studying together. It said that Christians live rooted in the future, but with their branches in the present. Our roots are in the future. We know how it all comes out. We know how it ends. And in light of that, we live our days in these present moments. It doesn't mean these days are pain-free. It doesn't mean these days are always easy to comprehend. It doesn't mean these days are out struggle. It's just on the grand scale of things, we know how and where it fits. And that helps us with our fear. Past few weeks, I've been uh, reading slowly uh, as I get to it, uh, because it's basketball season, but that's another story. Um, a book about the sinking of the Lusitania by Eric Larson. And uh, so I'm early on, and it's talking a lot about U-boats. And there were two really interesting things I wanted to pass on to you about U-boats that I learned in the last few days. First one was this. It made me a little sad. That one of the first U-boat sinkings of a merchant vessel in World War I, with mainly civilians on board, was done by none other than the Sound of Music's Captain Von Trapp. And the Austrian Navy, working with the Germans, commanding a U-boat, he sunk them. That made me a little sad, but I wrote it off that he hadn't met Julie Andrews yet. <laughs> but then there was something more applicable. And that was in the early days of the U-boat, as they adjusted to things like waves and and weather, and, uh, and, the, and the difference in the weight of and, and the ballast um, when you got rid of this three to 6,000-pound torpedo that would go. It was, it was a real adventure at first. And there were instances where U-boats would shoot a torpedo with all these conditions that they hadn't yet figured out. The torpedo would actually make a circle and come back toward the U-boat. That had to be something. And then I thought about that, and I said, that's what happens with me often in fear. When I'm afraid, I launch out in that fear. And more often than not, I actually end up doing worse things to myself. Fear is real. Our struggles are real. But I just wonder if I have a better chance staying afloat if I act more out of love than out of that fear. 
John Claybull tells a story from years and years ago. It was about a man who, uh, had, who was diagnosed with a tumor. And in this man's family, there was quite a history of cancer and people dying from cancer. He knew how painful it was. He knew how hard it was to go through the treatment. And so they did a biopsy. And as he waited for the biopsy to come back, he became so overwhelmed with fear of what might happen that he decided to spare his loved ones, or so he thought, and himself, and he took his own life. But you can already guess the rest of the story. Two days later, the biopsy came back, and the tumor was benign. I'm not saying that our problems are not real, and I'm not saying that they are not painful, but I'm just wondering if years and years from now, we look back and we think, well, maybe. In the grand scheme of things, they were benign. 